So I was, uh, right after I got ordained, my classmates and I, uh, we went to, um, we had a trip to Rome. Uh, we had never been there and it was, it was pretty awesome. Uh, but we, uh, the, we went to St. Peter's and I, again, that was incredible, like the first time you see that thing. And, and so we're uh, in St. Peter's and, and I noticed, you know, if you go down the main aisle, way over to the right on the side aisle, there's this huge red curtain. These big, thick, velvet red drapes, floor to ceiling. And there's a guard standing outside, and there's a sign out front saying silence. And, and so I went over, and I, I went in, and it's, it's a beautiful, huge, blessed sacrament chapel. Like this uh, big altar, this enormous tabernacle that was built by Bernini 500 years ago. And, and then this monstrance on, on the altar with the blessed sacrament in it. And the church, the chapel had a bunch of people in there uh, praying in silence. And... And uh, this little group of Italian nuns that were praying there, they, that was kind of their place. And they were the ones who took care of it and made sure that everybody stayed quiet and, and didn't take any pictures or anything like that. So I went over and knelt on the side and I started praying. So I'll stay here for a little bit. And just as soon as I had knelt on and started praying, all of a sudden there's this tap on my shoulder. And, and I look up, I look, kind of look behind me, and there's this uh, young guy standing there. He's about 20 years old. And... He says to me, uh, I need you. And I'm, th- and I'm thinking to myself, first of all, I'm trying to pray. What are you bothering me for? And then I, th- I say to myself, there's probably a thousand priests out there in the church. Why don't you find one of them, right? But no, he picks me. And it says, I need you. And I said, for what? He goes, I need you. And you know, the Italian nun turns around and gives us a dirty look. And you know, you have to, you know, those Italian nuns are tough, right? So you've got you to listen to what they say. And so I said, or I signal. I say, fine, let's go, let's go, let's go outside. And we were about 20 feet beyond the drapes on the outside and that side aisle area. Tons of people walking back and forth. And all of a sudden he just drops to his knees and he starts going to confession. And I'm like, wow, this is, uh, this is pretty awkward, all right? And, and he's, he's talking really loud and I'm trying to like, just be quiet, you know? And he goes, I, I need you. And he starts going, he goes back to confession. And so it was like a half hour of confession, this poor guy. And I finally, you know, I, so I just stopped thinking about myself and how awkward it felt. And it's like, wow, this is really, this guy really needed to go. He did need to go. Now, I don't remember what he said. God gives us the grace to forget the sins we hear in confession. Uh, so, but I, but I do remember it was big. And he needed it. And I also started feeling for this guy. I was like, man, you poor guy. You've been carrying this your whole life been walking around with this load and and it, and it showed on him when I when I turned around and saw him in the chapel when he tapped me first tapped me on the shoulder I remember his, I'll never forget his face it was tired it was pensive it was tight I mean he looked busted out this is the image he carried with him and so he's going and going and going and going and and I'm praying for him and people are walking by and we're just in the moment and that's the Lord brought me there that day to do that thing. Because when that guy got up, I'll never forget his face. It was, it was a different face. It was all that pensiveness, that tightness, that tiredness, that bereftness, that brokenness, all gone. And he was like a new guy. It's like just light, and you could see it on his face. And just, I mean, just like I gave him his, you know, his absolution and his penance, and he just like floated out of there. 
And he may have said thank you. I don't remember, but I never saw him again. And it's not important, right? Because that wasn't a meeting between he and I. That was a meeting between me and Jesus. Now, what I want to focus on briefly is that face. He carried with him all those years a vision of himself that wasn't real. He, he, he knew himself by his, his sins. And he allowed those sins to define how he felt about himself and how he was and how he portrayed himself to everybody else. I am my sins. Do you ever get that way when you think, if people really knew what I was like inside, they wouldn't love me? This is what this guy was like. And it showed on his face. That's not how Jesus sees us, brothers and sisters. Did you know that? He looks at you. He doesn't see your sins. He doesn't see your past mistakes. He doesn't see your current problems in the sense of things you do wrong. He sees not your past. He sees your current goodness, current potential for goodness. And he sees the future possibilities for your glory. That's what he sees. When Jesus looked at you, he doesn't call you a sinner. He calls you friend. You're my friend. And I want the best for you. I want you to know the, you yourself. I want people to know you the way I know you. So let's get, to, let's get busy. Today, these two brothers are arguing about money. Do we ever argue about money? Do we ever argue about silly stuff? Do we ever let that silly stuff to define who we are, define the quality of our relationships with other people? Yes, we do. There's not a person here who doesn't. The Lord's not having it. Because who appointed, who appointed me as your judge or arbiter? In other words, take care of this. We've got work to do, and this is in the way. Stop arguing about money. And brothers and sisters, before I go any further, this gospel is not a gospel against you having stuff. This is not a gospel that says money is bad. This is not a gospel saying, you know, your possessions are bad. That's not what this is about. We've all got things. I got a nice car. All right. I've got 10 black shirts. Did you know that? <laughs> We're all blessed. That's what we do with it. And what Jesus is talking about today when he tells this parable about the guy who's so blessed that he is overwhelmed by his blessing and he sees that blessing as something he's got to protect and hoard and it's in the way of his relationship with himself, with others, and with God. It's defining who he is and it's the distortion of that vision that God wants him to have for himself. The treasure we have isn't to be stored in containers. It's to be spent freely as we, as we live in love with other people and allow ourselves to be converted so that we can convert other people into disciples. That's what it's for. So we have this idea of things in our life, people, possessions, situations, that define us in a negative way. How does that show itself? Do you ever wake up at 3 in the morning worrying about stuff? Does that ever happen to any of you? It happens to me. I'm guilty. And I, and I wake up the next morning and I'm like, what was that all about? Why did I waste a precious hour of sleep on something I had no control over in the moment? And, and, 
and there was nothing I could do about it at, at, that, at that moment. Why am I holding on to stuff and not letting the Lord take care of it? Have you ever realized, if you think about the things you're worried about now, go back and think about the things you worried about a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. And didn't the Lord take care of you then? Maybe not in the way you wished for or wanted, the way that was most convenient or most desirous for you, but He took care of you because you're sitting here today. Also, why wouldn't I do now what I did then and it would all be okay, but we don't do that. We hold on to stuff. People, possessions, situations. We let them define who we are in, in, in the worst possible way. What does Ecclesiastes say? You wake up in the middle of the night and that too is vanity. That too is a sin. Because you don't trust me. You don't trust me that I'm going to take the gifts that I have given you allow you to use them in a way that make you a Christian, make you a disciple, and also allow you to make disciples and Christians out of other people. What's wrong with you? We'll use the word that he uses in, in, in the parable. This isn't me, this is Jesus. You fool! And he's, he must say that in, in, in an endearing way because he calls the man at the same time his friend. You're my friend, but you're a fool. In other words... Don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that I care for you? Don't you know how awesome you are? And you don't trust that. You don't trust in your own goodness. You let your sins define you. You let your worry about money and possessions and, and, and your stuff overwhelm you. You don't trust me. You don't trust that in my love for you, I've got your back and I'm always going to be there for you. Why don't you trust me, you fool, you poor person? You're my friend. Don't be so foolish. You're all blessed. He's given us so much. There's signs to us of our goodness and of our fellowship with the saints in Christ and His love for us. He, we are blessed in many ways that we don't even see because we're so overwhelmed by our, our control and our, you know, our, our sadness or our regrets or our sins that we let define us and make us think that we're unworthy of the gifts that we receive. And so we squander them and we hold them because we're afraid if I lose it, I won't have it. We're afraid if we let it go, people will really see us for who we are. If they saw who we really are, they wouldn't love us. But rather, if they really saw who we really are, which is children of Christ, beloved sons and daughters of God, my gosh, the influence that we could have in the lives of other people. Do you know who you are? how precious you are, how beautiful you are. Use the blessings in that acknowledged love. Use your, uh, the things in your life to, to reach out to God and embrace the person that He's calling you to be. He doesn't see you by your sins, only by your current goodness and potential for future glory. Live on that. Live on that love. Become that love. Give that love. He's making us into new creation. We come to this altar today. We go to confession as often as we can because we need to be relieved of the burdens and the distorted vision of ourselves that we allow to take hold in our lives. We come up here and it's the bridegroom, Jesus, who's coming to us, who loves us. We are his beloved. And we receive that host and we say amen, which is basically us saying, Jesus, you've married me and I do. Amen. I'm yours. And you're in me. And with you and me, everything in my life then becomes a gift which allows me to express my love for you to the people you've given me and to the people you call me to go and make 
and to disciples. Gosh, isn't it awesome? This faith that we belong to and the power that we've received. You are awesome. You are blessed. You are loved. Live on that love. What did John Paul say? What are the concrete possibilities of man? Of man defined by sin or man redeemed in Christ? What did Paul say? Put down that old man. He's dead. Why are you pretending like that old man is alive? That's not how Jesus knows you. Put away the old man. Live the new man, Jesus. Live in that love and share that love with others. Amen, brothers and sisters? Amen. Let's stand and pray.